Good afternoon and thank you for joining us for this afternoon's webinar. This event has been organised by the Scottish Parliament Information Centre, supported by the Parliament's Events and Exhibitions team. My name is Kenneth Gibson, the Convener of the Finance and Public Administration Committee. This seminar is part of a series focusing on wider issues for the new Parliament covering the SPICE, key issues for Section 6 briefing. SPICE seminars aim to provide members, their staff and Parliament staff an opportunity to hear from expert speakers on key policy issues to improve knowledge and understanding and support of parliamentary business. Today we have two speakers who will be talking to us about a recent collaboration between SPICE and the University of Glasgow, investigating whether the recent increases in Parliament's powers via the Scotland Act 2016 has resulted in a better understanding of devolved powers and improved parliamentary scrutiny. I'm delighted to welcome Ross Bonside, Senior Researcher at SPICE, and Graham Roy, Professor in Economics at the University of Glasgow. This report comes at an opportune time as we start a new parliamentary term with a new finance committee and a more focused remit. There have been exceptional circumstances in recent years with Brexit and the pandemic, which have impacted upon our budget timings and, importantly, on the time available for budget scrutiny. I am hopeful over the next period of time we can start to embed the budget process envisaged by the Budget Process Review Group with greater time for focus scrutiny in line with some of the findings from the new report. Professor Roy will present some key results from the research project, but first we will hear from Ross Burnside, who will explain some background to the project. After both speakers, we will have time for a question and answer session. Over to you, Ross. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, Chair, for that introduction and for hosting today's event. Hello, everyone. I am really pleased to be here today to talk about this collaborative research project which I have been working on since early this year with Graham, who you will hear from shortly from the University of Glasgow, and also Stuart McIntyre from the University of Strathclyde. I think it is a really good example of a practical and hopefully useful collaboration between parliamentary and academic research. I am going to briefly talk through the origins of the study the research questions we were seeking to consider and the methodology we used to try to answer these research questions. And then I'll pass over to Graham, who will talk through some of our findings and their implications. In 2014, the Cross-Party Smith Commission was tasked with recommending what powers should be devolved to the Scottish Parliament. And it aimed to achieve three broad objectives. Firstly, a stronger parliament with the formal transfer of these new powers, a more accountable and responsible parliament, accountable for the effects of its decisions and the resulting benefits or costs for the people living in Scotland, and a more autonomous parliament with new powers over policy areas such as taxation, welfare, and the resultant links between policy and the size of the Scottish budget. And when the final report was published by the Smith Commission on what powers should be devolved to the Scottish Parliament, Lord Smith stated that, quote, with new responsibilities over taxes, welfare and borrowing, the Parliament's oversight of government will need to be strengthened. And he also said that, quote, a challenge facing both parliaments, so the Scottish and the UK parliaments, is the relatively weak understanding of the current devolution settlement. So, five years on from the devolution of these new powers over tax and social security, 
which, by the way, have, have changed the, how the budget operates and have resulted in a new parliamentary budget process, we thought it was timely to ask whether we've seen the improvements scrutiny and understanding that the Smith Commission hoped would follow the implementation of these new powers enacted by Scotland Act 2016. So our research question was basically, have the Smith Commission goals been achieved? Have we seen the improvements in knowledge and scrutiny that were hoped for? Where have these improvements taken place? Where has progress been a bit slower? And, and what explains these trends? And I, I think it's also helpful for me to set out now what we're not doing with this work. We're not reviewing the fiscal framework, which is obviously, as you know, something that's going to be reviewed next year, nor are we seeking to review capacity within government. The interest in this project is in the wider scrutiny capacity of Parliament and wider Scotland, civic Scotland and academia. Very importantly, we are also not looking to get involved in any way around the political differences that exist over more powers. So in terms of how we, we undertook the study, we did three distinct pieces of work which informed the findings. Firstly, we undertook a representative survey of over 1,000 adults to gain insights into the public's understanding of the powers held by the Scottish Parliament. We then undertook a survey of MSPs from the previous Parliament, so the 2016 to 2021 Parliament. And finally, we undertook engagement in the form of in-depth interviews with 23 key figures involved in the budgetary scrutiny process in Scotland. So that included senior MSPs, key officials in the Parliament and in the government, and by government I mean the Scottish and UK governments, and other important institutions in the Scottish budget landscape. So for example, Audit Scotland, the Scottish Fiscal Commission, and also the Office for Budget Responsibility. So that's a very quick run through of the background to the project. And I'll now pass you back to our chair, who will introduce today's guest speaker. Thanks very much. And thank you very much, Ross. So next we will hear from Professor Graham Roy, who is the Dean of External Engagement in the College of Social Sciences at the University of Glasgow. Uh, Professor Roy was previously the director of the Fraser of Alder Institute at the University of Strathclyde and has also served as a senior civil servant in the Scottish Government where he was head of the First Minister's Policy Unit. Professor Roy is a well-known commentator on the Scottish economy and is currently working on a range of diverse projects, including in areas of productivity, evolved economic and fiscal policy and support, support for adults with learning disabilities. So, over to you, Professor Roy. Great. Thank you very much. Chair, and thank you, Ross, for that uh, overview of, of the approach that we've taken to this research. And as Ross said, what I'd like to do is just give you a summary of the key findings. And the report is now published um, on the University of Glasgow website. There's also a short blog article, which is available on SPICE, and also on our university webpage, which gives you an overview of, of the findings. But So what I want to do is just give you a really so stop tour of the key findings and some of my reflections about what this tells us about where we are in this process of improving fiscal accountability and understanding of budget issues in Scotland. 
So the first thing to say is, is we, we looked at um, levels of public understanding of budget issues in the Scottish context. And we, we saw two important results. I think, so first of all, we found a high level of understanding of who is responsible for different aspects of the budget when you look at the original 1999 devolution settlements. We found high levels of understanding about who was ultimately responsible for the NHS in Scotland, who was ultimately responsible for education, with the vast majority of our respondents in the public survey correctly identifying the Scottish Government, the Scottish Parliament is being is being in the lead in being responsible for these areas. And we said we saw exactly the same mirror of that when we asked them about things that are reserved and high levels of understanding about the who who, who controlled defence, for example, uh, and large numbers of our respondees correctly identifying that it was the UK government who had that lead in responsibility. We saw some variations, as you might expect, with levels of political engagement. So people who were more likely to classify themselves as being politically engaged were more likely to get the answer correct. But we also found some differences by age. So younger people are much less aware of who ultimately is responsible in, in key policy areas, perhaps suggesting that it might be more education work, particularly for younger people, about these responsibilities. The second key result, though, and I think the thing that interested, interested us the most, was that when you started to talk about the new powers, so ultimately who was responsible for income tax, or who was responsible for VET, or who was responsible for elements of the social security system, then we tended to get much uh, greater spread of answers. So if you take income tax as an example, we asked a question, who do you think leads on setting income tax rates in Scotland? And nearly a quarter of the people who responded to us um, said that they thought the UK government was still responsible for setting income tax rates in Scotland, despite the devolution of rates and bans since 2016. And we found this mirrored across a number of different areas, whether that be social security um, or different aspects of UK reserve policy, such as unemployment benefits or um, you know, different other other different types of taxes, where there's greater confusion or at least less certainty about who ultimately was responsible, where there was shared responsibility between key fiscal powers. I think one of the things that we take from that is that while there's quite a strong level of understanding about the original devolution settlement, levels of understanding about the new post-Smith devolution settlement are lower than perhaps we might have thought that was the case. We also found some subtleties in here. So we asked questions about whether or not people we thought people people thought the powers of the parliament had actually increased over the last five years or so. In, in the main, people thought they had increased, but interestingly, we found a, a, not an insignificant number of people saying that they didn't think that the powers had, um, had increased significantly. And nearly 30% of the people we spoke to didn't know that the powers of the parliament had, had increased. We did find some variation depending upon political affiliation. So people who are more likely to support parties in favour of the union, they were, they were more likely to say that the powers had increased. People who were supporting parties in favour of independence were less likely to say that the powers had increased. But overall, I think the key result there that what we what we couldn't say with any certainty or any confidence was that there was a significant improvement in understanding of fiscal issues, um, particularly the new fiscal issues relative to what we had before. As Ross said, we then did we then did something similar to to MSPs, asking them about their levels of understanding of the fiscal framework and key issues. And interestingly, we found a bit of a, a difference here, where 
um, people self-reporting their level of understanding was relatively high. So we asked people to score themselves in, on an index of zero to 10, 10 being that they had a very good understanding of fiscal framework and budget issues, zero being they had a very low understanding. We found a difference here where people self-reported having a relatively high level of understanding. So on a scale of zero to 10, on average, we were getting a number of just, just above seven. We were asked ask the same people to reflect on what they thought the levels of understanding were in the parliament more broadly, this, the, the figure was much lower, around about three and a half percent. So there is potentially what we're detecting is, again, variations in the level of understanding of budget issues and fiscal issues um, within, um, within MSPs. We asked them also about how transparent they thought the budget process was, and we'll come on to this a bit more when I talk about the results from our uh, in-depth interviews. We asked them how transparent they thought the budget process was, and I guess the overall result was it was mixed. So again, on a, on a relatively simple indication of that, on a scale of zero to ten, we were getting numbers around about five, so right in the middle there. Not it wasn't very transparent, it wasn't untransparent, but just it it wasn't perhaps as potentially good as it as it as it could have been. So one of the really interesting things I think that we found there is that the basic question of have levels of public understanding of these new powers increased significantly. And I think what we could only really say is it has increased relatively marginally. They haven't significantly improved, perhaps at a level that maybe Smith Commission was thinking or hoping for back in 2014 when it first came forward with these recommendations. One caveat I should say with all of that, we did pick up particularly from the interviews very strong appreciation of the work that is going on to help improve levels of understanding. So whether that be within the parliament to communicate these powers, organisations such as Audit Scotland communicating these powers, or Scottish government in terms of its evidence base. There was appreciation for the work going on, but also a recognition that perhaps it hadn't yet cut through as significantly as we might have hoped. And again, we'll come on to some of the reflections about why we think that might be the case um, at, at the end. So that was about levels of understanding. The second big area, as Ross mentioned, that we were really interested in having a look at was around levels of accountability and scrutiny. So had has the transfer of these powers transformed the way that we can scrutinise budget decisions and fiscal decisions in Scotland as the, uh, the designers of the Smith Commission have perhaps hoped? And I think what our key conclusion from this is that what we found, particularly from the interviews that we had with people, was that it had improved. In, in the number of key areas, so particularly debates over taxation, um, had become much more significant than it had been in the past. There was probably also a greater recognition of both sides of the balance sheet rather than just a, a pocket money parliament, I think was the phrase that people would use in the past, purely spending money. So there had been a much greater appreciation of these more strategic um, revenue raising um, aspects. But I guess the general conclusion that we took was summed up by a really nice phrase that a senior MSP gave to us, which was that financial accountability and debates over scrutiny have become broader, but they've also become more shallow, they've become more superficial. So we're, we're discussing more issues, but we're perhaps not getting into the detail and the depth we maybe have been in the past. And in our survey, in our survey of the MSPs that we, we um, spoke with, 55% of them said that accountability had got a bit better, but about 30% of them said that it stayed the same or got worse, and actually nobody said it had got a lot better. And interestingly, if you look at levels of questions around budget issues, actually the number of questions being tabled in the Parliament 
um, has, has actually fallen since 2016. So the number of questions around budget issues or around the fiscal framework around tax is, was lower in 2020 than it was in 2016, 2017, or 2018. So again, but be careful about over-interpreting that. But what it does suggest is that there hasn't been a, a huge increase in levels of debate around um, budget issues, and we perhaps we might have thought pre um, April before discussing this um, discussing this research. So we then started to delve into that into a bit more detail and to say, well, actually, what are, why are people saying that accountability or debates around fiscal scrutiny and budget issues? Why haven't they maybe perhaps gone to the heights that we might have perhaps have hoped? As I said, though, we, we did find some positive feedback from people about the quality of the debates, particularly on the tax side. I think there was a very strong consensus that some of the debates in Parliament over the last five years about income tax and business rates, etc., have been have been very good and very detailed. And the debates about understanding that actually what you decide on taxation has an implication on the economy and vice versa. So those debates have moved forward. But when we come to the more detailed comments and perhaps areas where people have been disappointed, I think I would highlight four key findings from this study. And the overall consensus was that yes, there has been improvement, but it's disappointed in some areas. So there was concerns over sometimes the quality and the depth of the debate. As I mentioned, the debates are very broad, but particular issues, say such as you know, long-term demographics or issues around particular aspects of the economy, that debt ha perhaps has not been there. And again, one of the quotes that we had from, from a senior MSP was saying that the debates are a bit more shallower uh, than they had been when it was a simpler budget. And I'll come on to one of the, one of the potential reasons for that uh, in a second. And that was really about this question around questions of clarity of focus. So one of the things that we know is that this fiscal framework is very, very complex. And a lot of time is debated both in Parliament, but also outside about the minutiae of the framework. So what are the Scottish Fiscal Commission's forecasts? Are they greater or smaller than what the Office for Budget Responsibility are saying? What's the forecast? What's the tax reconciliations going to look like? So a lot of debate around the actual framework itself, rather than the substance of the issues that lie at the heart of it. So rather than talking about why the economy might not have performed as well as we might have hoped, the debate is about whether or not the forecasters were right in the first place. Uh, and that's potentially meant the focus being very much on technical issues rather than big policy debates that we might perhaps uh, want to encourage. There was also a reflection, and the third of these was that the focus was naturally, in some ways, very much on the new powers, on the new taxes, rather than on the more kind of traditional or mundane powers around the spending side of things. So actually, because you get these new powers, a lot of the focus naturally gravitates towards trying to understand these things rather than um, the, the spending element. And a couple of interviewees spoke about you know, taking eye off the ball in some ways of actually focusing too much on the new stuff rather than the stuff that was already there in the, the first place. And then one final reflection, which in some ways I think is an important reflection for us as a nation as a whole, was that um, we picked up quite a lot of evidence, particularly from people on the outside of Parliament, saying that actually these debates were all very well, they're all very worthy and interesting, but they weren't headline grabbing. They weren't actually the thing that would cut through on the day-to-day -day news or cut through into day-to-day -day public debates. And that was one of the reasons why perhaps they weren't always getting the attention and the focus that we might have, have hoped. And I think there's a lesson for us all in that. You know, how do we actually encourage more engagement in these sorts of debates? We're not 
everyone's not going to get uh, excited about the fiscal framework, but how can we actually think about the, that, the, the content on the core issues in those debates and make them resonate more broadly across wider society? So I think our overall conclusion from that would be is that debates around accountability and budget scrutiny have got better in some areas, but perhaps have not improved as, as much as we would like, and in some areas they potentially may have, have slipped back. We offer four explanations in our, in our study about why that might be the case. So number one is just politics, and I won't go into this in too much detail, but just a bit of reflection. Actually, the politics of the last few years have been very, um, have been very difficult to have these sorts of really in-depth debates, whether that be Brexit, whether that be COVID, whether that be you know, intergovernmental relations or, or, or different elections, whatever the case is. But that's just crowded out the space to have these more deeper discussions about uh, about budget issues and a reluctance to talk about controversial stuff. So that's that's the first theme that we identified in there. I think the second theme, and, and arguably the one which is the most important in all of this, is just the complexity of the framework and the fact that, and again, as a senior public servant told us, it's difficult to explain and difficult to understand. And because it's so complex, simple questions like, you know, has the Scottish government's income tax policies been good or bad for the economy? It's just really difficult to give an answer on that because of the different moving parts in in, in the fiscal framework. So. The nature of this framework we've got is so unique and so complex that actually makes debates around these bigger, broader policy questions just um, relatively, relatively challenging. And one of the reflections that we had from some people was that just that lack of one oversight body pulling it together. You've got the Scottish Government doing one aspect of the budget framework. You've got the OBR doing another aspect. Scottish Fiscal Commission doing an aspect. The Treasury involved. HMRC involved. Um, DWP involved. The framework is just really complex, so being able to cut through and get to the nub of the issue is not as straightforward as it would be in perhaps, say, the UK framework, <clears throat> where the tax and spending divisions are, are much more obvious. So I think there's a big question of complexity, and we'll maybe come back into that in, in, in the questions. The third area was around processes. So actually, have we actually thought carefully enough about the processes that can help budget scrutiny and accountability? And again, found some evidence of improvement and an appreciation for the work in terms of the data collection, particularly by the publication of the Scottish Government and, and the Fiscal Commission. Movement towards year-round budget scrutiny, very much welcomed and very much seen as the way forward. But uh, uh, very much in view that this is, is, this is work in progress. We haven't yet got year-round budget scrutiny, perhaps as solid as we would like. Some good reasons for that, obviously COVID and things like that, but there's still a, a significant amount of work to do. The medium-term financial strategy, again, is a good step, but it probably needs greater work to go into depth in there. Question around committee structures. So one of the strong messages we got was that the, the integration of the finance and constitutional briefs crowded out the ability of the finance element of that committee to really go into in significant detail. And I think um, the, the kind of split out of the constitution brief from the finance and uh, has, has been, in my view, a, a welcome development and something that I think that most of the people we were speaking to before that change was made would, 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 very, much, would very much welcome. And, and one big issue in here was the timing of the UK government budgets. As you know, in recent years, the ability to do effective scrutiny has really been squeezed because of the late timing of UK of UK government budgets, um, and the fact that that becoming so late in the process has meant that the, the, the time for Parliament to be able to scrutinise the draft budget before it gets passed 
has, has shrunk significantly, and we'll come on to um, um, one of the, the recommendations that we make around that. And then the final theme was really about capacity. And the strong message we got from a lot of people here was just the time that is able to be devoted to, to budget issues is really constrained. You know, MSPs are exceptionally busy. Committees are exceptionally busy. People in the outside world are also exceptionally busy. So the, the, the actual time that we have got to scrutinize really important issues, but also, as I mentioned, a really complex budget framework um, it leads to significant constraints, and that has a significant impact on the ability of, of scrutiny. Also, some questions about turnover. So quite a lot of turnover in committee, core committees, for example, and, and knowledge transfer and how, um, how robust that was. And also reflections about resources. So a lot of the work in the Smith Commission and the fiscal framework stuff was about getting government, the two governments, to be able to deliver these new powers. And to be fair, I mean, when we, when we think of reforms that have happened in the past for public policy, we can all think of stories about where major policy changes have gone wrong because of administrative and delivery capacity. And actually, to be fair, the transfer of fiscal powers to Scotland has gone remarkably smoothly in that context. But a lot of the time has been spent about thinking about, does government have the right resource? Does government have the sufficient resources to deliver? And huge investment in this fiscal commission, huge investment in the capacity of the government creation of the DG Exchequer, build up their capacity to operate these powers. I guess one of our reflections is, has that same significant, that same scale of investment taken place within the parliamentary um, ability to do scrutiny and within the outside world to do scrutiny? Do we have the think tank community, the broader academic community to, to step up and do the depth of scrutiny that we need in these new powers in the same way that government has increased significantly its um, ability to deliver this? And I think that's one of the general reflections in, in that I would give back to all of this is that if you take a step back, have we actually invested in the capacity to do these things that we may have that we may we need we may need to do for the scale of these new powers that uh, are coming on board? So I guess just to conclude, what next in this? I think the greatest risk that you might have thought in 2015, 2016, before these powers came in, was that the actual physical transfer of these powers would falter, and that's not happened. And we should. We should we shouldn't forget that, and we should actually welcome the fact that the, uh, the transfer of powers has gone overall relatively smoothly. Yes, there's been some delays, BT and and Social Security and the like, but in general, we've not had any major challenges in terms of being able to deliver these new powers. But I think what we would say and conclude is that any hope that we've had a transformation in quality of debates and fiscal acumen in Scotland hasn't really been achieved just yet. So what to do about that? Well, one of these things is the complexity of the framework. It's unlikely to change unless you reopen debates about fiscal devolution and, and, and the like. But it does suggest that we need to do ever more to educate, to communicate how these powers work, what the effectiveness of these powers are, and to try and inform and encourage a broader debate outside of a relatively small and narrow community have an interest in, into this. And one of our big recommendations was to reform, or, or my recommendation was to reform the parliamentary committee structure and to take out the constitutional element, and that obviously has happened, which I think is a great, a, a great improvement. I should really give the, the new finance committee a much greater ability to, to to look at this and bringing in the whole public audit as well. But really helps in terms of thinking through about the spending element. Something again, in my view, has to be done about the timing of UK budgets. And the recognition at a UK level that if you're going to do fiscal devolution, 
then you also have to think about how your behaviours change, not just about transferring powers and getting much greater clarity about when the UK government sets their budget and how then the parliaments in both Scotland and Wales can then swing in behind to have effective in time. One of the big things that we identified as being missing in the Scottish budget process was an outturn publication. So at, at, we've got a draft budget which says what the government is going to do, but we don't have anything that then says that this is what they did and these are the outcomes. So is that something that can be added into the process to help improve scrutiny and accountability of documents similar to the draft budget that's more backward looking? Saying you said you were going to spend three hundred million pounds in this area, did you do it? And what were the potential impacts of that? Kind of an ultimate recommendation just really around capacity building. Again, this is something we just need to keep doing as a whole in Scotland, both investing in capacity within Parliament, but investing in capacity amongst our universities, our think tanks, to what we're teaching people in universities, for example, in economics and budget issues and accountancy. How do we get Scottish issues into the curriculum in order to help get the next generation of people coming through to understand those things? And then one final thing was just to think about, do we need to do more to reform some of the outputs that we have in the budget process? So is the Scottish Government budget document accessible? Is everything that we need to be, in order to do scrutiny in that document? Can we get it relatively easy? Um, a number of people talked to us about how you get landed with a 350-page document on the Thursday, and then you've got to go to committee on the Tuesday to have some really difficult questions. You know, your ability to process that level of information in a relatively short period of time is difficult. So what can we do to, to move more to multi-year budgeting, move more to a medium-term outlook for sustainability and move more to providing accessible materials for people to use to access to help improve um, uh, help improve accountability. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a summary of our findings. And as I said, and as Ross said, I think it was, it was a really good example of, of collaborative research, both with Parliament and with us in academia, trying to think about how we can pull together our, our, our genuine shared expertise to try and inform the uh, quality of debate in, into Scotland and offer some hopefully some interesting insights that people might think are actually quite useful to think about what we might do in, in terms of the future evolution of, of, of the Scottish budget discussions. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Graham. That's excellent, uh, particularly in terms of timing as well as the quality of the content. Now, uh, this is the end of our time, unfortunately, so I'd like to thank everyone who attended this morning. I'd specifically like to thank uh, Ross Burnside and Professor Graham Roy for their presentations. Uh, and also, I'd also like to thank uh, uh, those who uh, helped behind the scenes, uh, Damon Davis and Anne Donald and Joanne McNaughton for their assistance. So thank you very much to everyone and hope to see you all again at a future event before too long. Thank you. Bye, folks. Thanks very much. Thank you.